A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Neda Abolesani, the PhD and the R&D manager at Accenture Labs. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views in this episode. There's some very specific language in this episode about ontology, but I think it's quite approachable for most people as a good kind of foundational understanding of ontology, the difference between that and taxonomies, some specific insight into developing and applying an ontology. So if you're interested in ontologies, this is the the episode for you. (laughs) So some key takeaways or thoughts from NATO's point of view. Number one, when starting with developing an ontology, it's best to start from the business questions you want to answer first. It is okay to choose bottom-up or top-down, but the business applicability is the main point. And that's kind of a recurring theme a lot around data mesh is we need to really, really focus on that business aspect and that in data work, a lot of times we have it. Number two, you can convince people ontologies and knowledge graphs aren't scary or that hard to learn and leverage with a small demo right, of what they do and how to use them. You don't have to, you know, talk about these conceptual theories or anything. You can just kind of show them what they can do. Number three, look for open ontologies that have already been created around your domain or area you are trying to model. They can usually be easily augmented and extended, but there's no reason to create your ontology from scratch to reinvent that wheel. Number four, Data people need to learn enough about the domain to build the right ontologies and data models, but data people learning domain knowledge can, quote unquote, discombobulate them. (laughs) 
get the data people with the subject matter experts to learn what's necessary, right? We don't want to just say data people learn all you can about the domain. Number five, try to keep your ontology as generic as possible, but still encapsulate what you need. That way, it is much easier to apply the ontology to other domains departments, right? This is, again, not overly fitting to a specific use case versus trying to keep it as broad as possible, which is, again, a theme in in Data Mesh. Number six, set your ontology up to evolve as you learn about your organization and as your organization itself evolves, too. Number seven, you don't have to change your ontology simply because there are new use cases. If you designed it generically enough, it should be able to handle most new use cases, whether as is or with a few kind of extensions, additions, right? Number eight, a good way to measure if your ontology is good enough and is still meeting your needs is to look at the business questions you want to answer. Are you able to answer them with your current setup? Number nine, it's okay to have a global ontology and then ontologies that are more specific inside the domain if that is necessary to extract more value from the domain. You don't have to have one that that covers everything that rules them all. It's kind of, again, something that comes up in people talking about the self-serve platform for data mesh and things like that, right? Don't have to have only one that rules them all. Number 10, maybe controversial, Knowledge graphs need an ontology as well as the data model. So if you plan to leverage a knowledge graph for data mesh, you will need an ontology. Again, is that controversial? I'm not really sure. Number 11, when is best to actually start to deploy a knowledge graph and develop your ontology for data mesh if you do go this route? It's all still up in the air. The earlier, the better in general, but it will mean more works as things are unsettled early in your data mesh journey. Basically, it depends, but you know, the earlier that you can start to think about this work, the better. Number 12, constant schema changes can make designing and updating your ontology more challenging. Whether that means you want to delay adding something immature to your ontology versus waiting until this schema settles a bit more, it's hard to say. Just it can create additional challenges. Be aware of that. Number 13, another potentially controversial one. To really have high value interoperability in a data mesh, you need a way to capture not just the metadata of the data products, but also the semantic meanings in the domains. And that should be done via a knowledge graph. Again, potentially controversial, not really that sure whether uh, what people are thinking on that one. Number 14, Ontologies are richer than taxonomies because while both have definitions, ontologies also have description logic. This gives people an ability to define how data technically fits together across different aspects, not just meaning-wise. Number 15, OSDU, or the Open Subsurface Data Universe, is a specific open source data platform for the oil and gas subsurface data. Nada developed an ontology to go along with that. And so a lot of this episode is about kind of her journey doing that. Number 16, there are interesting learnings to take away from OSDU's development for Data Mesh because it has similar goals if within kind of a specific domain. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Neda Abolasani here. She's the R&D manager at Accenture. Um, she is only representing her own views. Want to be clear on that. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things about kind of ontologies and taxonomies. What's the difference between ontology, taxonomy, why ontology is, is so important to really figure out how you're going to approach it and how we have to be not as rigid as we have been in the past with things in data, like taxonomies have been this, this is the only way versus this is a way that we can uh, match up and communicate with each other. And then um, uh, Neda specifically has worked on the open source data universe project. And so that's a really interesting thing in the oil and gas space about um, sharing data and, and kind of, it's a little bit like the fire uh, standard on the healthcare side around that. So uh, she's been involved in working with that and in de developing that. So like, how can we think about doing something similar internally as we kind of work to create the language internally together? So very, very excited for that. Um, but uh, before we jump into that, Neda, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sure, thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Neda. I am, as uh, introduced by Scott, an R&D manager at Accenture Labs. And I got my background uh, uh, in computer science. I got my PhD in computer science. And my research area during my PhD was on knowledge graphs and machine learning. And still, as an R&D manager and employee at Accenture, I'm doing uh, research in knowledge graphs. So I applied knowledge graph to lots of different domains uh, of industries at Accenture, like oil and gas domain, as Scott mentioned, and um, healthcare domain, media domain, various domains. And this is like the exciting part of my job that I can see my research being applied to real world uh, problems. That, that's awesome. And, and, and I think a good place to start with this is kind of, can you help people understand what is an ontology and then like why does it matter so much in data and why why haven't we really figured out how to do it well in data and then we can talk about the difference between a taxonomy but for, first let's start with like literally what what is this what are, what are we talking about yeah yeah sure so literally the ontology is a formal explicit specification of a shared conceptualization i know that it is lots of jargon but i'm going to explain it to you so it is an abstract model of concepts properties relationships and it is standardized, it is machine readable, and it is not just the instance uh, level data. It doesn't include the instance level data, but it includes like the schema and the type level information and how stuff should be connected in your domain. And when you think about that, I mean, that's kind of the, the generic high level, but like, how do you actually start to apply that, right? Is it that you work backwards? You say, okay, here is the table that I've created. So let's work up to an ontology or do you start from the top or is it kind of bottom up and top down or is it middle out? Or like, how do you start to think about that development? If, if you're 
an organization that's like, okay, I get that we need to start doing things like this, but I don't know where to start. Like where, where do you recommend that people start to look at and how, how would you get going around that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you want uh, to use a top-down or bottom-up approach, but in order to make your life easier, it's better to think about the business questions that you need to solve. So for this topic, this domain that you are working on, what is the most important part? And start from there. For example, if you are uh, working in a manufacturing company and you want to build the ontology for the knowledge graph that connects all of the different components in your plant, you shouldn't uh, start uh, from defining everything. You can start small. You can see that, okay, this is, is a specific for a use case of a motor that I want to build a digital twin of it. So I should start from there, figure out what specific open ontologies are out there. That is very important and uh, useful. So if there is any open ontology, like for example, FIBO is a good open ontology for finance. FIRE, as you mentioned, is for healthcare. Uh, we use Marco for uh, manufacturing. You can utilize those open ontologies and just play with them, figure out what are the lacks and uh, what stuff you need to add to fit this ontology to your uh, domain problem. And when you think about that, you know, one thing that you said there was don't start by trying to model everything. And, and you know, I think when we're looking at anything data related, anything data mesh related, we've like historically data projects have been too large of scope. And so then they've been three years. And then, you know, you, by the time you complete them, it's <laughs> the, the world has moved on and it's no longer valuable, even if you got it right and you didn't get it right and, and all of that. But one thing that I'm kind of concerned about is when teams are looking at decentralized versus federated. You know, federated has the the communication between the different things. So let's say multiple teams are looking at creating their ontologies and their taxonomies and things like that up front, you know, that multiple are, are developing at the same time. Have you found that everybody has to be very coordinated about what everybody else is doing? Because then that adds that huge overhead factor, or is it, can you almost have hey, we're going to have this within the domain. And then when we're actually communicating across domains, we'll actually kind of reform that so that we can have those bridges or like, how does that actually work in practice? So um, in practice, it is usually uh, by defining it in a generic format. So if you are trying to build your ontology as generic as possible, it means that it doesn't uh, uh, have any conflict with like other uh, departments or other uh, subsections uh, that are working on the same problem. So it is generic enough to encapsulate your uh, problem that you are solving and the other uh, section in your enterprise, the other problems in uh, the rest of the uh, enterprise. So. It depends. You need to think of it in a generic form that can be applied to uh, everything easily. And that's the point of an ontology, because it should be in a standard, a standardized format that everyone can use and everyone can be, uh, you know, uh, confirming on it. But one issue that we've had in data is like the standard 
schema, the standard model, and that everything has to conform to it versus there is something that it can conform to to communicate internally. And that's created rigidity and not having flexibility, and that rigidity limits scalability. So what are you seeing from people out there to make sure that this is a tool, not a rule? Right. Like that it's it's that this is not the only way that this can can be done versus this is a mold for you to fast track (laughs) to actually work with everybody else internally. Is there any is there any tools or tips that you've seen or any ways that you've seen people do it right? So uh, as far as the tools, people usually use uh, ontology editors like Proto-J, Web Proto-J, and with the Web Proto-J, it is collaborative. So it, is, uh, it lets you do like uh, different, you know, store different versions of your uh, ontology. So when you uh, are uh, trying to uh, think about this ontology as something that will evolve, then you will be safer. So you uh, you will try to um, have like different versions and control these different versions and integrate them when it is, you know, uh, when you get an okay from uh, the other team. So it is like a, a software that you are building and you want to uh, work on it collaboratively with other teams. And uh, you use, for example, GitHub to commit stuff. And uh, you also try to build uh, and release things by versions. So if there is something that uh, needs to be done in another version, there wouldn't be a conflict. And uh, yeah, so this is my thought on it. So I'm, I'm, I might have been thinking about this completely wrong. So I, I think this might be a, a question where we could dig into more on this. But um, when I'm thinking about do I have a single ontology for the entire enterprise or do I have domains treating it almost as if it's a semantic API, right? Like it's here is how in a generic way, I'm not trying to describe five different domains versus I'm trying to describe this in such a way that you can apply the information that I am sharing about my domain to your own domains that you can understand it well enough? Is it that you're trying to create one overarching enterprise level ontology or that you've got smaller sub ontologies that are that kind of semantic API or is it kind of both or like how, how, how do you think it works best? Is, is there, is there an answer to that? <laughs> yeah. So um, it is actually both. Uh, you can uh, have like ontologies for different domains in your enterprise, and you can have a global ontology on top of it. So this is something that is usually happening. For example, in uh, you know when we are thinking of data mesh, the, uh, this is uh, something that uh, I always think of it that okay in data mesh we are dealing with decentralized domains and we have like a finance domain in my enterprise. And also if it is an oil and gas uh, company, I have a well bore and well and like personnel uh, data, all of the different things. So for each of them, I need to have a specific ontology uh, 
for the knowledge graph that is uh, useful for that specific domain. And then a global one to be like an umbrella over all of these uh, different ontologies. So it is actually both uh, as far as like the uh, design thinking. But it, if a domain is developing an ontology, is it for is it typically for their own use or is it for communicating about the domain externally? Or is it again, kind of both? <laughs> It, it is it is usually for communicating externally. So the main point of the knowledge graphs is extensibility. So you are using knowledge graphs because um, you want to integrate different things with each other. You want to bring in weather data and uh, have your sensor uh, data. You have your uh, uh, personnel data. You want to integrate all of them with each other and uh, infer some new insights. And for this, if you want to build an a knowledge graph, you need to define an ontology, a correct uh, standard and data model for it. It's, okay, that's that's very helpful. I was definitely thinking about this as more that it is super top down and it's super rigid and, and versus like, hey, we're trying to share what we have internally, externally. So it is that external facing thing. That's, it's very helpful. Um, you know, uh, a couple of different people have been on talking more about taxonomies. What, what is the actual difference in your mind between ontology and taxonomy? Or is this almost that they're, they're both about semantics and caring about too much about the semantic difference between them gets you wrapped around an axle. And so it's, even though they're two different words and they overlap, it's not actually helpful to really try to differentiate too much. Or like, how do you think about that to somebody like myself, who's had a couple of conversations ever about taxonomies and ontology? Yeah, I know. So uh, I think that, um, you know, and I think it is uh, something valid. Ontologies are richer than taxonomies because you not only capture the definition, the description of different entities in an ontology, but you also add description logic. So this description logic is really the differentiating point. And uh, the description logic gives you uh, some syntaxes for defining uh, stuff like union, intersection, uh, restriction, equivalence, and it will help you do reasoning at the end of the road. And this is the big difference from an ontology and the taxonomy. Taxonomy just classifies concepts and specifies a term to be used for each of the concepts that you have in your domain. But for um, uh, ontologies, it is much more richer. Does that make it more rigid? Or does it make it, I mean, it obviously would probably make it much harder to develop because it has it's richer, right? <laughs> You're, if, if it were easier, then we'd only use ontologies. Do you think most organizations are ready to do that? Or do you think most domains understand how to do that, especially about their data? Because it's it's not when it's their their data for analytical usage, it's it's not just here is the current state, but it's like, how has this evolved? What was the business event? What happened? Do you think that people are are ready to do this or can they get away with not doing it? I don't like to, to really think about that. But at the same point, is this something that you think is 
something you need to do super early in a data mesh journey or later or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that it is uh, something doable. So right now, at least based on my experience at Accenture, I see that many clients from different domains are trying to build knowledge graphs. And for knowledge graphs, if you are using a graph database that is a semantical graph database, you need to define an ontology in advance. And this is something that companies are thinking about it. And, uh, you know, we are uh, seeing more people getting trained on this subject, but in order to make it a little bit easier, let's think of it as like those uh, universal diagrams the, uh, or the UML diagrams that uh, the companies usually have for their data models. If you have a relational database, you definitely have a UML diagram somewhere. And it is usable for creating your ontologies as well. When you want to create an ontology, you need to know what is your data, what is the business question that you are answering, and looking for like uh, similar concepts out there, open ontologies out there. If you're a bank, you can definitely use FIBO. If you are uh, a factory, you can use uh, the Marco ontology. Utilize those ones and just add stuff that you uh, see as lacks from your uh, previous data models. Yeah, I, I think that um, is really, really important to... This is where I've been kind of frustrated by the data mesh communities lack of publishing like what is a data product because all these companies are struggling to define what exactly is a data product and to me it's it's almost a little bit of like um what is the sky right like it, it depends on what you're looking at and why you're you're asking and and you know if you're talking to somebody that's like um, the business domain owner, it's like, oh, it's this communication mechanism and that that's what versus the data engineer or the data product developer or whatever, you're going to have different definitions for different people. But yeah, it's, it's, I, I think that leveraging this stuff that's already been done, this work, spending the time to spend an extra day to not have to spend an extra 10 weeks developing it yourself yes. and say, and even look at the versions of those open standards, because it's like you can see how it's evolved and what's happened. And then you go, oh, OK. And I can ping that person because I can see it's an open standard. I can see who actually is contributing to it when and why did this happen? And all. so, yeah, I, I fully agree with with that. Um, one one thing that we were uh, that I wanted to talk to you about was this. Uh, OD or, or OSDU, sorry, the Open Source Data Universe, because it is an open platform that that you've been working on. So, um, I would love to transition into that. Like, can you give people a little bit of a background on what it is, and then we can talk about how that's been developed, how people can learn from what you've done, wh- whether they leverage it or whether they just learn from what's been done. But I think it's a really, really interesting and fascinating story that can help a lot of people. Sure, definitely. So OSDU stands for Open uh, Subsurface Data Universe. And it is an open source and democratized data platform specific for energy domain. So it is usually for oil and gas and subsurface data. Uh, It puts the data at the center, makes all different data sources to be interconnected with each other through a compliant layer. And um, historically, this data platform is built by uh, 
cloud providers and famous oil and gas companies, and they are trying to uh, extend it to uh, different energy domains like wind uh, domain and uh, some other ones as opposed to just the subsurface uh, data. And uh, yeah, so uh, OSDU it is uh, like a you, like a central. It has a central data repository that is uh, in, on cloud, and you have apps that are data providers in OSDU and apps that are uh, data consumers. And in between them, you have the OSDU compliant layer, which adds metadata and data registry to make that data discoverable by data consumers, the data that data providers are publishing. Uh, discoverable by data consumers. And it has also all sort of analytics. And uh, one uh, funny example, I think, was uh, you can also integrate it uh, with Alexa if it is built on uh, on AWS. So you can ask Alexa about your wells and well bores. And this is, I think, very interesting. <laughs> I don't know if that's the most useful, but I do think it's, it's, it's a fun little thing to, yeah. So... You know, you in developing something like this platform, uh, there's a lot of of things that that you've probably seen and learned, and and things that you would um, maybe advise people about. Um, you know, yes, if they want to come hire <laughs> Accenture and talk to you, that that's great. But uh, what do you think is is the thing that's been the most helpful in it, or what do you think like that? was the the most friction filled right was it in getting everybody to agree to you know a certain specific aspect or of it was it just the i mean a lot of what people say is that the tech is the hardest part except for all the rest right <laughs> like it, so like when you're building out this platform when you're working on something like this where where do you think people aren't prepared for the friction? Like if you were to tell people like, you're probably going to think it's going to be the tech is the hard part, but, and maybe it is the tech is the hard part because you are integrating all these different things or, or it's, yeah, I'm just so frustrated that I have to integrate all these 73 pieces one-to-one -to, -one to each other. And that I have to do kind of almost like a soldering iron with like, you know, the, to, to glue these things pin by pin to each other instead of, I wish it just all worked together or like, what would you say is, is kind of some really key learnings, uh, you know, across the spectrum, whatever you want to talk about, yeah. but that other people, so that they feel like they're not alone when they run against these frustrations. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, so one of the key things that I uh, saw, uh, and it was like a gap, I think, was uh, the fact that when oil and gas companies want to uh, load their uh, raw data or even process data, their original data, into OSDU, it should be uh, translated into canonical format of OSDU. So OSDU has some uh, schema files, they are in JSON format, and when you are loading your data, it should be accompanied with some JSON manifests and just mapping your own data with the format that is uh, supposed to be for OSDU, it, it, was, it is a little bit challenging. And uh, it needs a lot of uh, time from uh, SMEs to work on doing these mappings if it is like manual mapping. And what we thought of is 
to use a knowledge graph uh, and AI technique together to build a uh, an autom- automated schema matching technique that can help uh, that can help with finding the similar data in your uh, raw data sources that you want to uh, do the ETL and put them in OSDU with and the uh, canonical format of the OSDU. So uh, map them together, find what are the similar uh, clusters of your data in your uh, different domains and what uh, aspect of them are similar with the OSDU and how they should be aligned with each other and then generate a config file that can be really useful when you are creating the manifest. So this is like one uh, thing that we noticed and we tried to build it out. And uh, the other thing is that uh, the OSDU itself is a domain-based data platform. So it has different domains like well-bore domain, well-domain, seismic data, all of those different things. But it is still a little bit away from data mesh. And uh, OSDU was, uh, you know, uh, introduced before data mesh. So it is interesting still that it is... Uh, there is a lot of alignments between OSDU and data mesh. For example, in OSDU, we have concepts like work product component, which is really aligned with the data product. Uh, We have some stuff related to uh, security classification, abstract common resources, we have a stuff like um, uh, domains. So it, it, it is really aligned with the, uh, the key things that we need for making uh, a data mesh architecture. But uh, still, since it uses just one single uh, repository for the storage, it is away from that uh, non-monolithic uh, thought of data mesh. So it is still using just one single data storage uh, to integrate everything in it and try to make sense out of it. But yeah, it would be better if it was like uh, more decentralized, really decentralized, yeah. But I still think we can learn a lot from, you know, we, I had um, on um, Ali Sophie Reza and, uh, or uh, sorry, Ali Reza Sohofi, and he was talking about um, building an ML platform, but it was very much this composability platform that was specific to ML use cases, but it's still, we can learn so much about like building these platforms and building in, especially like, it, it's kind of, it what you're talking about is is kind of similar simultaneously super anti data mesh and super data mesh because mm-hmm. like we don't want to build to domain specifics unless we need to but like in this industry in oil and gas it's so important to build in you know you don't want to overly tie yourself to any one use case but like that domain knowledge and especially the ontology being incorporated into it and all of that makes it so that it's more powerful. So I think you'll see that in certain in certain um, sectors that we'll start to see that type of stuff emerge where there is stuff that that ties a little bit more of the compute or the storage or things like that to the actual like way that you maybe even like regulatory requirements in finance and things like that, that there will be certain solutions that are like that emerge in, in open source, hopefully that are specific to that. So I think it's, it's really interesting. How did you find, like you've, you've were working with a whole heck of a lot of different people. Let's talk about timeline. 
how long did this take? You know, how difficult was it to herd the cats? You know, like how many people did you have involved in this? Because this is something that, you know, did you just kind of have a core group of a few that were leading the technical side and you had another core group that were leading the ontology side and you made sure that they were communicating, but that you weren't like everything didn't have to move lockstep or like, how did you kind of federate or move forward without it being too rigid and that everything had to work together, like kind of a monolith of, of an idea and an approach? Yeah, so that, that's a good question. So since the OSDU data platform was built with a canonical data format mindset, and as I said, they had these uh, schema JSON files, ER diagrams already open sourced and available. What I did uh, for making the OSDU ontology is to read all of those documentations to understand uh, the facts uh, hidden in the uh, schema JSON files for different data products that uh, need to be loaded into uh, OSDU and create this OSDU ontology based on that. So I, I noticed that there is this lack in uh, oil and gas uh, domain for having a standardized ontology. So there are like some ontologies for geology uh, or uh, uh, sem- uh, semantic sensor network and all of those things, but n- most of uh, the oil and gas ontologies are either outdated or they don't really capture the stuff that are interesting for these uh, you know, famous oil and gas companies and energy companies. So I thought, okay, nice. We have these things already there. Some people already built that standard schema and ER diagrams. So why not trying to utilize that and uh, based on it, try uh, build a uh, OWL ontology uh, that uh, is specific for oil and gas. So, uh, you know, uh, the domain user can uh, utilize it for uh, any kind of uh, project, not even necessarily for loading data into OSDU itself, but, it, uh, you know, if they want to have build a knowledge graph for their enterprise, they can still use that. So I was uh, the main person who worked on this, you know, the creation of the ontology. But, uh, yeah, uh, there, there are, like, other uh, teams that were helping with deploying OSDU for the clients and OSDU uh, itself, it has, you know, there are lots of developers and uh, oil and gas experts building it. So it is like uh, a very big community. So, so, I mean, you're the one who, who developed the ontology aspect or the main person, right? You were, yes. how, how have you been able to, as that has evolved, right? Like it, so I, I had a recent conversation with uh, Jamak and we were talking about um, that as soon as you start to layer on semantics on top of, of something, like on top of your data, that semantic snapshot is already old news, right? It's kind of like by the time you've developed a data warehouse, you've spent so much time trying to develop your, your standard schema and your this that it doesn't really match any of the use cases perfectly anymore. And some of them are way out of date and that you're, you know, you took, you know, four or six months or whatever and boom. So like, how have you made this into something that stays relevant? Because this is, I think the big, the big challenge that we don't really dig into because I don't think 
we necessarily have the perfect answers. And and I want to dig into the things and prepare people for this is going to be difficult. This isn't going to be perfect. But like, how do we maintain that from it not creating too much rigidity or that it it keeps its relevance, it keeps its value and that we also are okay with it not being perfect, right? Like that's been the thing that data has to have five nines of every aspect of quality. And it's like, no, that's ridiculous. Yes. What do you actually need this to do? How does it add value? Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, that's a good uh, point. Uh, what I understand is that the evolution of the OSDU schema files are not happening that often. So when we are trying to build the ontology, it is, you know, the main stuff are always there. Maybe there are some a few properties being added to some of these uh, different uh, uh schema files that we need to reflect them back in the ontology. But uh, even those uh, schema files and uh, OSDU uh, releases are versioned. So each time we are trying to uh, revisit the new version and see if there is something new that we need to reflect back in the ontology and uh, we try to maintain it on our end. And when, I mean, I think that brings up the question of, I'm going to ask you a, a, a question that I don't think anybody has the right answer to, so it's totally fine. <laughs> okay. I just want your opinion on it. When should ontolo- ontology work start relative to a data mesh implementation? Like when should somebody start? Like I think thinking about it, it makes sense at the very start, right? Th- it's kind of you always want to think about what is my bigger picture where like I, you want to make it so that the data products aren't the the necessarily unit of value. It's the interoperability between the data products and like that you can answer all these questions more globally. But when should people really start to invest in that work? Is it up front or is it okay to start later? Because you said like the schema had, had stopped evolving so much. Is it that that will be too late because then you will already have too many little fiefdoms and and trying to get everybody to kind of collapse into one isn't going to work probably for most organizations or like how do you think about that question so what i remember from one of these um, talks that uh, jean mac gave uh, i think it was a knowledge graph conference is that knowledge uh, knowledge graph uh, emerges from data mesh. So uh, we need to have the data mesh there and then think of having a knowledge graph maybe for um, building that unified governance layer and the uh, self-serve infrastructure, helping with the self-serve infrastructure. But um, for that, uh, we need to uh, have an ontology definitely and think about the domains that we are uh, capturing in that data mesh. What we think of uh, is at at Accenture, we thought of like a data mesh architecture, how we can uh, have all of these data products interoperable with each other is uh, by the use of a knowledge graph. So uh, we think of it as something that is necessary to be there. Uh, I know that some people think that no, it is not necessary for a data mesh architecture to have a knowledge graph. And it can happen later in uh, later on the road, uh, uh, you can have like a knowledge graph as well as other things in your data mesh. But I think that if you want to uh, have the interoperability uh, and uh, discoverability of your data products, you need 
a data catalog that captures not only the metadata of your data products, but the domain ontology, the semantic stuff. Uh, regarding your data products and uh, using that uh, knowledge graph uh, or data uh, or the metadata hub, uh, you can um, better implement a data mesh architecture. This is uh, like uh, uh, my opinion, but I know that it would be like, uh, as you mentioned, it is not like a strict answer. So you can do either or. But I think it is better to think of having like this knowledge graph mindset in, an, in advance of building your uh, data mesh architecture. Yeah, and, and I think this, I, I literally recorded something today on kind of uh, phase shifting, which, you know, going from phase one to phase two of a data mesh implementation and the work that people are, that are in phase two wish they had done in phase one. And so I kind of think of this as, hey, domains, get something, get a taxonomy and an ontology, at least the taxonomy first, and then we can work on how you develop your, ta- your ontology. Get something in place. It doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to do it for the whole organization. Get, start to think about how this gets communicated and that it's not all or nothing, that I have to develop all of the ontologies for every domain and for the entire organization up front. But I also don't want to leave it completely to the end. This is kind of, again, where um, Jamak has talked about the, the pipeline and the layers and things like that. And that every time you add a new layer, every time you shift something from stage A to stage B to stage C, in that pipeline mentality, it's a handoff. It is, you know, there there is a handoff, whether that's between systems, between people, between whatever. And, you know, obviously between systems doesn't have to be the end of the world, but we're we're layering this thing instead of it being all embedded together, that it's all the cohesive uh, product, right? I mean, it's almost like you're asking the the person to, I mean, I love Ikea furniture, but putting it together is sure a pain in the butt, right? You don't want the the end user to have to do that for every single aspect of, of it. And that the, you know, I can't read Swedish. I don't know, maybe you can read Swedish, but like that it's it's in a language that they can understand and that they can leverage, but that it doesn't have to be perfect up front. And like, that's, I think the thing with where we get into pedantic semantics in a lot of stuff around data, like how do you, how do you prevent that? How do you make it so? Like, first of, all, I, I want to. I, I was just speaking for myself. Is that is that how you view it? As to like get get some things going, get it on paper. Don't get it perfect. Get get to I some things where you've got value. Okay. Yes, I totally second you. Okay, so like, how do we actually start to do that? Like how how like too often we get into these pedantic semantics of this has to be perfect from a language perspective. Like, how do we iterate on that? How do you, how have you seen it be useful to have that communication mechanism? And I mean, it's impossible to say like in the abstract, how good is, is, is good enough, but like, how do you start to measure? Is it no longer good enough or is this good enough? And we can, we can stop for now and we can focus on something else. 
Actually, it is based on the uh, business questions that you want this knowledge graph or ontology to be able to answer. So if the, the business question or the uh, aim for this project is totally changed, has totally changed, then maybe you need to introduce some new concepts and or delete some uh, concepts that you already had in your uh, ontology or knowledge graph and uh, try to evolve it. So that that is, again, something that uh, brings up the versioning and uh, evolution of the ontology into the plate. So uh, when we are thinking about the versioning, we should also think of, okay, someone is using this ontology and someone is querying our knowledge graph based on the stuff that already is in the ontology. If I delete something, just like you know, in relational databases, we need to think of it in a. Uh, we have uh, a. We should have a backward uh, thinking uh, mindset that uh, we need to still keep the previous release there with all of the uh, things that are uh, necessary for uh, the usage of our applications. And we are going to update uh, our ontology. And when everything is updated on the rest of this stuff cascadingly, we can also, uh, you know, introduce this new ontology version and uh, keep on adding to it and evolving it. So this is uh, what I think. Yeah, and I think I think that makes sense. I think having empathy for those users and and really thinking about how do we make this so that and, and that data consumers historically haven't been okay with change because change has meant a breaking change. And so like we get them into a thing of, we're going to communicate with you about change. We're going to work with you on change. Like is the versioning around the ontology. I keep thinking, uh, and I know I'm wrong on this, but I keep thinking of it more on the semantic. Is that semantic versioning typically the thing or is it more the logic the reasoning that that versioning that is happening with an ontology right like is it more the actual schema logic that is is the the version versus but semantic versioning is also a really interesting topic because words do evolve and meanings evolve and things like that over time yeah yeah so uh, uh it is usually like the model the model part that evolves like the uh, the relationships and uh, some uh, concepts that need to be added or deleted, or if something was already a, a super class of another concept, then maybe uh, for another use case, we need to change and it needs to be a sibling class. So all uh, these are like the stuff that uh, will really evolve, but like semantically, those logical stuff that are uh, hidden uh, and implicit, they are already defined in an ontology. So uh, for example, OWL, uh, the uh, open web ontology, uh, it is like, uh, it, it encapsulates all the inheritance, trans, uh, you know, symmetry, um, transitivity, all of those uh, things, the, those logics all are already there in uh, OWL. And it is like a, a more advanced version of RDFS and RDF. So when you are building your domain ontology, you are building it off of uh, SKOS or uh, OWL, or you are using like other ontologies. So uh, this is, I think, uh, the part that really changed is uh, the part that um, is changed in the enterprise and in, in your data. 
not really in the logic. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and exactly what you're talking about of, is it, do you think that it's more about that the domain itself has changed so dramatically, or is it more typically that the way that that domain interacts with other domains that that changes or, or is that too difficult of a question? Cause it's just so much. It depends. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to say it depends. Yes, you're true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's the, the problem with a lot of these things is, is it would be nice. Wouldn't it be nice if we had concrete answers to everything, but anybody like anybody who gives you a blueprint for this is how to exactly do data mesh for every organization, run away from them. They're a charlatan. They, they have no idea what they're talking about or they're selling you something. Yeah. So, um, so I, I think this has really, really helped me to understand a lot about how we need to um, think about this evolution and this versioning. How, I mean, maybe, I, I mean, I, I know the answer is it depends, but can you give me some ideas of when you've seen something that's a signal that you would need to cut a new version, right? When there's that friction point, you, you talked a little bit about it, but I'd, I'd like to, do you have any specific examples, you know, not uh, naming any customers or anything like that, but any specific examples where there was a friction point where you said, we understand we need to, to version this. Is it just that like the actual data model that the, the domain wants to, to share has changed or like what would make it so that you know that you need or, or that you're starting to understand you need to cut a new version versus, yeah, they completely changed the data model for their domain. Obviously, we need to cut a new version. <laughs> like, yes, okay, that's a hard shift. But like, where where do you start to, to look for the friction that it's probably time to evaluate if you want to make this change? Or, or is it reactionary to everything else has already changed and that you're it's kind of obvious when you need to make a versioning change? Yes, so it is kind of similar to the schema and uh, modeling uh, of a relational database. Uh, when do you think it, you need to change the schema of your tables or uh, the views that you have in your uh, MySQL database? It is just uh, when you are, you know, in your application, in, uh, you know, the, the end user wants to see something that is not already there. You need to introduce something or maybe change the name of a, a column from comments to feedback, something like that. Those changes uh, happen like in other cases and it is similar in ontologies as well. So you want to, you know, the data model changes and um, you, you need to also reflect that. Something that is uh, confusing uh, sometimes to people uh, in one of the projects that I'm working on it, people are uh, looking for new use cases, to add new use cases. And they uh, keep asking me that, oh, we need to change the ontology and evolve the ontology because now we are having this use case. And I tell them that, no, we designed the uh, ontology generic enough to be able to adapt to even new use cases. So it is not... Uh, the case that uh, there is like a new problem or a new set of data, uh, we have to change uh, uh, everything or add like new things. But it is like uh, for the time that uh, some attributes or some uh, classes, uh, they need to be changed or renamed or deleted, stuff like that. 
Yeah, it's it's funny because Jill Maffeo from Vista um, episode, um, what was that? I think 151. And so um, she was kind of talking about the same thing of with with a taxonomy, but but not specific to ontology, but it's the same thing of like, we have designed this, we have gone out and we have asked the people, we have done our product management. We have gone and we've, we've talked to our potential data consumers about what questions would you ask? And you're asking for a point solution when we've created a, a generic platform to answer these questions. So yes, you might call it this in your domain, but here is what it's called in the in the ontology. Boom! This data is already available. Boom! This thing is already answerable. I don't care. I don't care if you call it, you know, uh, whatever um, squirrel tail. I don't care. Like that doesn't matter if if I this person calls it like oil extraction and you call it some random thing, right? Like whatever. It doesn't matter. But that is what we're trying to design for, right? We're trying to design for, and if there's something that is outside of the ontology, it's kind of the same thing with um, needs of the data platform. If a domain has a need outside of the data platform, that is okay, right? You don't have to serve every single thing. You don't have to serve everything from a point solution. You work with them to get to what they need and, and, and help that, but you if everything is customized, then it doesn't work because it doesn't give you an actual overarching picture. It doesn't make it so that you can like pop up to a higher level. So like one question I would have there, I mean, I would love to hear more about it, but also like, how do you actually have that conversation with them without like bopping them on the nose and going, no, uh -uh, you don't get that. Uh, yeah, that that's funny. It is usually uh, that is strict, <laughs> that is strict of an answer. But by uh, you know uh, showing them and demonstrating the uh, capabilities of the current version and uh, demoing them that yeah, see with this use case, I have these uh, concepts already in the ontology that can capture. Uh, this and I can query it and find the answers that you need, just like a small demo uh, to convince them that, yeah, it, it is doable. But uh, yeah, it is usually the case that I say, no, it is already generic enough. Don't, uh, don't worry. Don't worry at all. Leave it all to me. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I, well, I think especially that's the, where we hope to get to the magic with data mesh of, Oh, you've got this question. No, it's not going to take us six months to get the data. Let's go and let's check it and let's talk about, hey, here's one angle to ask this question and here's another. Here's the one that I think is more appropriate. But yeah, here's the data. Like we've already set this up and oh, you want it in a very specific way. Okay, we'll have to do some more transformation. So it will take us time to get there, but we can look at what this looks like from an approximate angle, like, you know, I can't guarantee all the data quality. I can't guarantee that right now, but here's kind of the answer we're getting. And that like quick skip to value that quick hop yes. to that, it gives them so much confidence in partnering with you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And something else that, you know, makes these, uh, challenges is the, uh, 
the fact that not many people know about the knowledge graphs and ontologies. So many people know about relational databases, schemas, it's very obvious. Many people work with Excel, so it, it is it's really easy to uh, explain something in that sort of language. But when it comes to the ontologies and knowledge graphs, it is like uh, something unknown to them. So they don't know. And they uh, th that's the reason they uh, keep asking these kinds of questions. And that's that's totally fine and understandable. Uh, but yeah, so by demoing like a uh, small uh, thing, like uh, a few example uh, queries and showing the capability of this current version, we can convince them. So it, it is like a training session, a small training session for them to understand, okay, these things can be still captured by this uh, release. So this, this is uh, at least how I do. Yeah. I, and... So I think in in kind of heading into the the uh, wrapping up because we're we're coming up on an hour here, so it's been a a, a great conversation. But I, one question that I have around all of this is kind of who does the work, who has to come to who, like right, like do the data people have to learn all of the information about the domain and to create the ontology? Does the domain have to do a lot of the work? Like how do you actually? get this to come together? Does Do we have to find a NADA, somebody who's going to do all this work that's going to take on this complex, complicated work that loves that, you know, it's funny, anytime I find anybody who's into taxonomy and ontology, they love it. There's nobody that's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is okay. It's either I, I don't want to think about it, or this is life. Right. Yeah. Like, do they have to do they have to hire someone like yourself or do they have to find that? Like, how does this actually get done in practice? Right. Like, let's say we've got somebody who's listening who says, I believe you. I believe this is going to add the value. How do we who has to do what? How does it move forward? Like, how do we get the data people to enable the domains or like, do they have to extract all the information and learn it themselves? Or like, how does that work? Yeah, uh, so learning domain knowledge can really discombobulate data people. That's that's a fact. And in order to uh, learn enough about the domain knowledge, we need to have the data people be in contact with subject matter experts. We need them to uh, figure out what are the open ontologies or data models or ta taxonomies out there to learn about the business uh, architecture and terminologies. And uh, the other important thing is that what's the customer journey in that domain? So uh, people should understand the customer demands and what the business delivers, what this product that uh, they are building is and basically walking uh, in the shoes of an end user and uh, why should uh, people care about it. And uh, uh, as I uh, talked about it before, by understanding the business questions that uh, the client or the uh, end user is uh, interested in. So, you know, doing all uh, these uh four things, you know, the uh, contact with SMEs or uh, learning uh, the uh, open data models, customer journey and business uh, questions are going to help a uh, data people, data person to learn about uh, domain knowledge. And um, th this is 
challenging. I, I totally agree that some people really hate it and some people uh, loves it. It is like a zero one. But <laughs> yeah, I think it isn't something that people should be afraid of. Sometimes the other direction is more uh, challenging and difficult when the data people want to explain their work, their technical work to the client and end user. It <laughs> is more challenging and i think in that case people should explain it in a simple way in analogies and uh, with by use of analogies and sometimes uh, showing what is the value of this work in terms of money yeah and, and uh, just for listeners i was face palming that right when she was saying <laughs> that because i agree so hard on the i know all of you out there uh, I, I love you all but uh you so many of the times people just don't care about the how, right? They care about the why and the what and the like, what does this mean for me? What changes? Why are we doing this? What, what, <laughs> what am I going to have to do? And why is this good for me? But like so much of the data work, it's like if, if we can make it so they don't have to understand how the data systems work, but they can embed their subject matter expertise into the data as best as possible, as much as possible to make it as rich as possible without having to learn so much about, you know, well, this is how an inner join and a left join and a right join versus like, here's what we're actually trying to do. Or, or you know, even worse, like here is how this process is um, in a micro batch versus a streaming versus a, you know, or um, I always use the example of uh, the Kafka book um, that Gwen Shapiro wrote. Um, there's an entire chapter on exactly once delivery. You, when I tell you exactly once, it means only once and at least once, right? And you're like, okay, yeah, I get that. No, there's an entire chapter on what it means and how to how to actually do it. But like most of it is what it actually means, which is insane. And like people don't care. It doesn't matter to them. So. Uh, I mean, is is it is it pretty easy to get to okay enough with the tooling, and, or do we have to create a much better experience for people if they want to? If if we get a domain that's willing to share their taxonomy, is it difficult right now, or is it still an arduous process? Or and we need to really fix that, or or like, let's say we do have somebody that's bought in, like. How hard is this going to be for them? As, uh, to be honest, it is really difficult. So I, I don't uh, say that it is something easy and you can uh, do it just in uh, two days. But uh, yeah, you need people to get trained. You need people to understand your uh, domain problem. Uh, you, you want to have like SMEs uh, to help uh, your uh, data people to understand your problem. and it is not something doable in just a few weeks, but uh, when it is done, it will uh, really uh, have a big impact and it will change a lot of things, definitely. This is what I, at least I saw in my, in my work. Yeah, well, and, and that's, that's all anybody can share, right? Yeah. <laughs> what if they learned? What's their perspective? But, um, well, this has been so, so helpful. It's helped me really rethink um, kind of, uh, I mean, hopefully I'll, I'll stop uh, mixing up ontology and oncology, uh, quite different things. <laughs> totally different. 
Yeah, just slightly different. Um, but uh, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you really think we should have or any way you'd want to kind of wrap up the episode? I think uh, we did good. We answered a lot of questions and uh, covered many topics. Something that I want to add is that um, uh, knowledge graphs are uh, really a new topic and I encourage everyone to learn about it. And if you want to enable even uh, more cool stuff, uh, you uh, can build something on top of your knowledge graph for helping with your machine learning models, for predicting and uh, doing lots of cool things. So uh, I think, uh, in my perspective. Knowledge graph is something necessary for uh, having a data mesh architecture and something that you can do analytics on top of it. So it is very useful for any sort of domain and industry. And uh, they should think of, um, you know, learning about it at least more. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a, a big, big topic that pops up a lot last year because it was, I had two things that people were, or three things people were talking to me about the most coming into this year. And it was um, data contracts, it was um, uh, knowledge graphs, and it was domain-driven design for data. And and like kind of those uh, other two have really popped off. I think knowledge graphs are probably really starting to pick up momentum in, in data. And I think it's going to be something that's a lot of people will see that that's the, the key to the equation of one plus one equals three. And when you think about having 500 data products, it's not, you know, one plus one plus one, plus, you know, add infinitum into to 500 equals 501. That doesn't add the value. It's like the value is the interconnectivity and that becomes, compounds as you add more and more that are interconnectable to each other. And that's the knowledge graph is crucial to that. So I think, I think you're, you're very right that I don't know exactly when it needs to come in. I don't know if it needs to be from the very start that you need to really develop the complex. But I think once you're getting to five, six, seven data products, you really need to start doing this stuff because <laughs> it's going to pay off for you in the yes, long run. That's true. But so um, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you after this conversation. What's the, where's the best place to do that? Anything specific you'd like people kind of following up about? I have my LinkedIn uh, and I'm, uh, I think, pretty responsive uh, with the direct messages. Yeah, and I'll, I'll drop a link to that in the uh, show notes. And, and anything specific, just anything related to knowledge graphs, taxonomies, ontology, or, or is there anything specific where you're like, if you've got this problem, I really want to talk about it. Anything that you're really, really passionate and talking about with yeah, people? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something uh, that is our uh, new R&D initiative that we are doing in labs, uh, on, you know, and is aligned with knowledge graphs is the probabilistic reasoning on top of knowledge graphs. And uh, probabilistic databases are like a, a new um, and ongoing field of research. So whatever data that you have in your database, it means that they are facts. And uh, when you query your data, you will get like a strict answer. 
but uh, building like a probabilistic uh, graph database on top of your knowledge graph can help you, uh, you know, uh, find the answer to the uncertainty and uh, to help you with some conditional queries that you may have. And it is really interesting how it can be applied to different domains. So this is something that we are building. We're trying to uh, build a uh, probabilistic ontology and that is domain agnostic and it can and it can be aligned with different uh, domains it can sit on top of domain ontologies and you can uh, answer like probabilistic uh, queries in sparkle language easily so it will help you with the optimization with figuring out if you don't have a real answer uh, for something uh, just showing like the distributions based on the distributions of the data that you have uh, showing an answer to you. So it is, I think, a very cool field. And uh, if someone is interested in this topic, uh, me and my team uh, will be eager to help you with that. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Nita, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a, a fun conversation as well as uh, thank everyone out there for listening. Thank you, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Neda Abolasani, PhD from Accenture Labs. You can find a link to the OSDU Ontology GitHub and her LinkedIn as well in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.